Okay, if y'all would open with me your Bibles to 1 Timothy. We have studied um, last week the qualifications for, well, really two weeks, qualifications for the bishop. Tonight we're going to study the qualifications. This is chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. Tonight we're going to study the qualifications of a deacon. Okay, so these, what are these two positions? There's a bishop and there's a deacon that are both mentioned here. And they're both officers within the church. This has to do with church government. It has to do with church order, with God's order for a local church. And uh, we, we spent two weeks on the bishop. The bishop was, is, is also defined as an overseer of the church. I think we would use the word pastor of the church. And over t- uh, could also be called a, uh, right, a bishop, an overseer, a shepherd, or a pastor. That's pretty much the same position as the individual oversees the church. So we spent two weeks talking about the qualifications of a bishop and because God has qualifications. It's not just for men to say, I think he'd be a good one. The Holy Spirit needs to lead and guide. The Holy Spirit needs to call. The Holy Spirit needs to make it evident to the people in the church and the one being called. And he's able to do all that. This is not just, uh, this is not just a, a secular or carnal means of choosing a pastor or even a deacon it's something that the, of the lord's choosing but it has to do with the call of god and the one that the lord calls he also equips he does it okay and so we looked at uh i think it was 17 qualifications for a bishop we're going to look at 13 qualifications for the deacon and the deacon uh, a lot of them are over overlap it's going to sound familiar because it really when you boil it down to it the qualifications of someone who's going to serve in the church and represent the Lord and lead people, whether it's teaching, leading, serving, uh, their qualifications are going to be similar. They're going to be uh, godliness and, you know, holiness and, and uh, ones that are, are sincere and walking out their faith and are proven and tested as being uh, men of God. So I want you to read with me. We'll read verses 8 through 13. And then we'll go back and talk about some of this. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own house as well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. So let's go back and and look at some of these qualifications. We're going to look at all of these qualifications actually, but it's God's standard. So what is a deacon? If the bishop is the the uh, overseer of the church or even the pastor of the church, what is the deacon? The deacon, the, the word that is used is, if I'm pronouncing it right, diokoneo, okay? And it, it, the definition is an attendant, a teacher, a servant, an official, a minister, okay? And so really, it almost comes down to the word serve. They're men, they're, they're people that serve within the church, and they serve, it is an honorable position. We, we just read it uh, in verse 13. That they, those that use this office purchase to themselves a great degree. 
uh, and so forth. And, and uh, it's an honorable thing. It's an honorable thing to serve the Lord. When, when Nebuchadnezzar had thrown the three Hebrews in the fire and the Lord protected them and said he saw a fourth, uh, Nebuchadnezzar said he saw a fourth man, he called them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come up out of there. And they, come, they came out unharmed. It's, not, it's the greatest privilege to be a servant of the Most High God. David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. He was the king of Israel. But he said, you give me the choice, living with wicked people or being a servant in the house of God. I want to be a servant or doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. We need to look at it that way. We need to look at it that no job. Now, all of us serve, okay, and all of us should serve the Lord. But no, no task or demand that's placed on it as, as being something that's menial, even if other people don't notice it. It all comes down to who you're doing it for. It's not really the size of the job as much as the size of the God you're doing it for. If that's what he's called you to do today, this week, or your whole lifetime, to do this thing, maybe it's unnoticed. If he's called you to do it or called me to do it, then it is the, of the greatest value, not the size of the job, but the size of the God who's called us and who we get to serve, okay? And so their testimony, just like with the bishops, there's, no, there's so many similarities but their testimony of a deacon, who and what they are in Christ, is of the utmost importance. Our testimonies for the Lord, just as being church members, okay, and Christians, and people knowing we're Christian, is of the utmost importance. Who is watching? Well, God's watching, first of all, your life and your lifestyle. That's what I'm talking about, your testimony. If you claim to know Christ, and I claim to know Christ, which we do, and we shouldn't be ashamed of that, then we need to live like we're called to live consistently, okay? And if we sin, we go, and, and those that may have seen us sin or act in an ungodly manner, then that's, that's the ones that we need to uh, repent to, confess to. could be your spouse. It could be your children. It could be church members. But we need to have a testimony for the Lord. Deacons are no different, okay? Uh, some people talk about, you know, the deacons run this church. You know, the deacons run that church, and they run it. The deacons don't run the church. They're not supposed to run the church, okay? Deacons, uh, maybe there are some deacon-run churches where the deacons run everything, and they run the pastor off as well. That's not really the, the biblical position of the deacon. That's not really them serving. Really what you see, uh, and, and I've studied like five different books, okay, in addition just to the Bible, the deacon is a servant. That They're to serve, and they help the pastor. Okay, they're going to help the whole church, but they help the pastor um, to, by doing duties that would keep the pastor from prayer or the study of the word. So just think about it for a second. There's nothing dishonorable about that or lowly about it in a, in a bad sense. It's just serving with tasks and jobs within the church that would free up the pastor to be about his first calling, which would be prayer in the ministry of the word. Nothing wrong with that, okay? It's a good thing. So I want you to turn to your Bibles because this is the first place we see deacons in the church, first time that they were instituted, so to speak. Acts chapter 6. It's a great passage. This is going to bring a lot of clarity uh, to what we're talking about. 
Acts chapter 6. So just picture what's going on. There's a Pentecost after Pentecost and some early persecution and the church is growing and really just exploding. There's signs and miracles and wonders following uh, those that believe and God's adding to the church daily such as are saved. And so it's growing, it's growing, and it's having some growing pains. Nothing that God can't handle. He's prepared. The Lord's prepared. But his people have to be uh, spiritual and pray in people and hear them from God. So there was a problem. It's the first real problem that we read about in the church, and here it is. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows, the Grecians' widows, were neglected in the daily ministration. So what is it talking about? You probably know this, but um, this is not Gentiles and Hebrews. The early church was strictly Hebrew uh, or Jewish. It's Hebrew-speaking uh, Jews as opposed to Greek-speaking Jews. This was not Jews-Gentile thing. The, the gospel hadn't even gone really to the Gentiles. Peter had not even brought the gospel to Cornelius, Cornelius and, and his house and so forth. It would soon be there. But at this time, the church was Jewish. But even within the Jewish people, they had those that were predominantly Hebrew-speaking, and they kind of clung to themselves. And then you had the, those that speak, spoke Greek. And so the, the Greeks said, look, our, our widows, there's been a lot of people if you had a lot of widows, and it was enough to be a problem. The church we know was at least, uh, at least 8,000 people by this time, right? Probably more than that because the Lord was adding to the church daily. So they're saying our widows are being neglected when the church hands out uh, money, food, clothing, basic necessities. And it was a good thing. We see that they were doing this. We already know that from Acts chapter 2. They brought and gave together and they distributed as every man, every man had need. But they're saying, look, ours are kind of getting overlooked. They're getting a back seat. And these Greek-speaking uh, Jews are not getting ministered to. They're being neglected. They don't say, claim that it's untrue. It was a problem, okay? But it, God's going to fix it. He's going to fix it. Every problem you see in the church, when, when reading in the book of Acts, we see the Lord fix it pretty quick, too. He's trying to teach his people something and learn to come to him. And the, the remedy is the same every time. Tom, go get with God and hear what he has to say. It's not another vote on something. It's coming to the Lord and everybody, when the Lord leads everybody, then everybody's going to be happy, right? And that's going to have to be spiritual people, though. All right, verse 12. So then the 12, that would be the, the 12 apostles, called the multitude of the disciples unto them, called the, the, the people together and said, it's not meat or not really right, re, not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. That's how they phrased it. So that word serve right there. In King James, which I'm reading, it says, and we shouldn't leave the word of God and serve tables. That word serve is the diokoneo. That is the word for deacon. That's it. Okay? Serve. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you. It's going to be already people that were already part of the church. They're not going to hire outsiders or a hired gun. Know those that labor among you, the Bible says. Look ye out among you, seven men of honest report. So they have quite a standard put on them. Honest report, they have a good testimony. They're known as being godly, people that know them. Full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. 
whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose, doesn't say they necessarily voted. I'm not saying that they didn't, but I don't really see it as a vote. They just chose. They talked among themselves. And they already said, the apostles said, choose 12, I mean, seven. And they looked out and they said, we're choosing after prayer, I'm sure. This one, this one, this one, list, list their name. And they chose Stephen, a man full of the Holy Ghost, faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. So they were chosen by the people. They had to be recognized as being honest, honest and good report, full of the Holy Ghost, full of wisdom and faith. That's the ones we're choosing, these seven. We think the Lord has led us to this. They bring it before the apostles. The apostles pray and lay hands on them, and now problem solved. They got the, the apostles can keep doing what their primary call is. It doesn't mean that they could never serve in some way like a deacon. It means their primary call, which they cannot be derailed from or distracted from, uh, is to the ministry of the word of God, okay? We're going to give ourselves continually, Peter said, to prayer and the ministry of the word. So that's a good picture. That's a good picture right there of, of bishops, so to speak. I know these were apostles, but bishops and then the deacons and how they were chosen and what they were chosen for. So that's the first place we see it. Uh, we see the Holy Ghost choosing and again, the, the, the deacon should be a help to the pastor of the church. They should be a help to him, not undermining or anything like that, but a help. And so uh, it was honorable to be a deacon. It was not something that was uh, everybody, everybody dreaded or didn't want to be a part of. Primarily, I wouldn't say totally at all, but primarily the deacon would deal with the material or temporal things of the church and church life and church activity of the local church. While the pastor or the bishop is dealing more with the spiritual side, the prayer and the ministry of the word, okay? They can cross over, you know, somewhat, but they, I think you see the picture. So the deacon is not necessarily called to preach, but he can be able to preach. And we're going to read, we're going to close tonight by looking at two, two of these six uh, seven men that God used greatly to preach as deacons, all right? Um, they should be able to preach and teach the word of God. And so let's look at some of the qualifications. Back in Second, First Timothy chapter 3, the deacons must be grave. Well, what does that mean that the deacon must be grave? Uh, it simply means serious or spiritually minded. That's all it means. You might have a different translation. It says one of those words. The deacons must be grave, spiritually minded. What is it? in a study? And it means not shallow. You don't want somebody that's shallow. You don't want the deacons to be people that would just be, while the preacher's preaching, they're cutting up in the, in the back hall. They, they're to be spiritual people, S serious and spiritually minded, serious about serious things, serious about the things of God. 
and, and uh, when attending to the service of the Lord, whatever they're called to do as deacons, they take it seriously, and they do it as unto the Lord. And it's not a big joke, joke and they roll their eyes, and preacher's got me doing this now, or, or something like this. It, they're to be grave. That means they're reverent, worthy of, of respect, and they're serious-minded about spiritual things. It's not a joke to them, okay? They're thankful for their call and position, and they're doing it as unto the Lord, all right? Uh, not double-tongued. It means just what you think. It means straightforward in speech. Straightforward in speech. Say what you mean and mean what you say. We've all heard that before. Uh, it means a sanctified tongue. How about that? A sanctified tongue. And James talks about our tongue. It shouldn't bring forth bitter water and sweet out of the same tongue. It should be pure. If you belong to the Lord, then, then let your speech line up with that as well what you say. And so uh, it's a sanctified tongue. Don't give a conflicting report or reports of the same incident. thought that was interesting. I go to, to, to Jordan and I say, well, here's what happened in this meeting over here. And I tell him one thing because I know that's what he wants to hear. And I go to Damien and I tell him a slightly different version because I think that's what he wants to hear. And it would make me uh, look better to both of them. That's not, not what a deacon should do. Not double-tongued, okay? And so we give a, a good report. Straightforward in speech and a sanctified tongue. Someone that people can trust. If a deacon or any kind of leader in the church, I'll say any Christian, but certainly any leader in the church or servant in the church speaks, the people ought to be able to trust them and not think, I don't know about this guy. I don't know if I can trust him, all right? He goes on to say... Uh, not given him much wine in, in verse 8. And I'm not going to spend really any time at all on this. It said the same thing for, uh, for the, the bishops. It's taught consistently in Scripture. Christians are not to be given to strong drink. If the, Paul does tell Timothy, I think in 2 Timothy, I believe, he tells him, if you've got that stomach ache that's still bothering you, take a little wine for your stomach ache. That's not the same as being given to wine. Maybe it's the only type of medicine he had is for a purpose. And there's nothing in the scripture that I see that speaks of drinking alcohol in a positive way. Period. And I'll give a scripture here. This is one. We're not doing a study on it tonight. Proverbs 23, 31. Look not upon the wine when it is red. When it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. I think that the color and it moves itself, speak, simply speaking about fermented, it's alcoholic. And, and don't even look at it, okay? Don't even look at it. Just turn the other way. It's not something that's for your life as a Christian, all right? So uh, we're not going to spend any more time on that. It's, it's for God's sake and, and, and uh, our testimony for the Lord. All right, not greedy of filthy lucre. We said the exact same thing about the bishops. What does that mean? It means not covetous. Uh, you're not, the, the deacon should not be trying to gain from his position in the church financially. Like getting somehow benefiting materially from his position as a deacon. He shouldn't be looking for ways to do that and greedy of that. All right, God may promote him. God may bless him in certain ways, but if that person is given, not greedy of filthy lucre, it's covetousness is what it is. It's covetousness. 
And uh, he had Judas, I'll, I'll just read this. You know, uh, I preached a few weeks ago about, about uh, Judas and uh, how he sold the Lord out. But it speaks about Judas. It says, this he said not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear that which was put therein. He was covetous. He was greedy. It was a, it was a character flaw. It was a fault. Okay, that ultimately led to him betraying the Lord. A deacon can't be filthy, I mean, greedy of filthy lucre. All right, so we understand that. And um, not covetous. All right, and and in verse 9, let's look at this. Verse 9, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Okay, this was one of our themes. One of the themes of 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. These three epistles kind of go together. They give great uh, detailed order for the local church, all right, how, how things are to be basically in the, in the local church. And he says here that uh, we're, the, one, of the, one of the themes would be sound doctrine, but also uh, a pure conscience. That word, I think, is 11 times, if I'm not mistaken, the word conscience is used in these epistles. Conscience is simply, and we talked about it in our introduction to this whole series, it, the conscience is simply your moral consciousness that God gave every man. It's one of the things that separates you and I and every human being from the rest of creation. Um, they, um, an animal, a wolf or whatever, doesn't have a conscience. It has just, it's just instincts that God put in it, Okay. But human beings created in the image of a holy God who can say, come, let us reason together, uh, created in the image of a holy God. We have a conscience of evil, good and evil. Doesn't mean we always follow it, but we have it. Okay, it is part of that steering mechanism. It is part of what how God reveals himself to us and shows us right from wrong and ultimately would desire to lead us to him and to his word. So uh, having a conscience, so a pure doctrine and a pure conscience, okay? And uh, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. It's not only must the deacon, I would say this for every Christian, not only must the deacon believe right, that's the pure, and we must, he's got to be right. We have to believe right, and we must be right, and the the deacon must uh, be this. True and right doctrine is going to lead to true and right if it's held to okay if i hold to sound doctrine not just i know it but i hold to sound doctrine it is going to lead to true and right living because that's the holy spirit leading me into all truth right and the, the the reverse of that is true as well if you're holding to bad doctrine and you hold to it and you practice bad doctrine that's corrupt that's false that's twisted that's perverted it is going to lead to some sin in the life. Those two, I know we talked about it a lot, but those two things go hand in hand. They're not, they're not independent of each other. Well, my, uh, you know, my doctrine's really good. My life's not, in other words, like my, uh, to think that my doctrine could be messed up and perverted and wrong and think that that's not going to affect my life is a fallacy. If your doctrine is wrong at some point, Maybe not the first day or week. If I'm holding to that, it will start to become, it will start to affect my life. Maybe immorality, maybe greedy, greedy for filthy lucre. At some point, it's going to 
manifest itself. So these two go together. The true and right doctrine is going, we got to hold to that and believe it. The deacon's behavior must conform to his belief, is what he's saying here. Sound doctrine, sound in doctrine and sound in life. Okay, what does he say in verse 10? And let these first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. So we closed last week in verse, uh, verse 6. Pretty much our thought. We probably spent half the time last week when the qualifications of the, the bishop, not a novice. Remember that? Not a novice. A novice simply means a beginner. The deacon can't be a novice either. He's got to be proved. He's got to be proved. Remember the picture, the definition of a novice is a beginner. The picture that's given to accompany that definition was a tree that's newly planted. Even if the tree is big, if it was just planted, it may look stable and strong and looks like you could go climb on it, but it's just been planted and the roots have not taken root in the new ground. It's not stable, okay? It's not strong despite its appearances. That's the picture. So the deacon, like the bishop, cannot be a novice. The deacon, like the bishop, must first be proved. That simply means, proved here means tested, tested. Okay, anybody that's going to buy a car from somebody or a boat, a lawnmower, whatever, from somebody, you're going to at least crank it up, you know, and ride in it a little bit just to see. Okay, you're going to test it and prove it. I can tell you this, I can say it from, from experience, it's much better for anybody that's going to serve in the church. So we go to someone and ask them to teach Sunday school or, or whatever it may be, a, certainly a deacon and a, and a bishop, but it's much, much better for that person to patiently grow and prove themselves and be tested over time and then kind of just move into that position that they're qualified for far better to do it that way than to take somebody that's not ready because they're you need a position filled or because they're really exuberant and really popular and people like them and you stick them in a position that they're not qualified for guess what then you have problems and they have to step them down that's miserable it's bad it's not enjoyable it didn't have to be that way because if they'd have met the qualifications before and if the church would have been mature and made sure they met the qualifications before that would have never happened. But we see it. People that are unproven and untested put, it, put positions of leadership over others, even if it's over children, whatever, over others. And then you say, uh-oh, we made a mistake. Then it's how do I get out of it now? And we have to step them down and basically say we made a mistake by putting you there. Because the Bible says you should be tested and proved first. And that takes time. And we did not give you the time to be tested. That's something that actually can be observed. In other words, you can watch. Not that we're judging everybody under a microscope, but the more we fellowship and worship together and serve God together and go witnessing together um, and, and do, uh, you know, spring cleaning days at the church or whatever, uh, the more that we're together and see each other in this environment, the more we're going to know each other. Or being proved and tested, even though we don't might not even be conscious of it or thinking about it. But it takes time. It takes time to observe their life and 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 their service to the Lord. First, the, the, we would see this. First, be 
that the individual should be given more minor responsibilities and see how they do. These are just basic. If you had a, a job and you had a new employee and it's his first day at work, you're not going to make him vice president. You can, they're going to prove themselves over time, and it takes time, and there's not a shortcut. There's not a shortcut if done right. And so uh, they it takes time. They need to be tested. They need to be proven. And a little thing, what others might not notice, but the Lord notices, and you're watching, and they're being really faithful in this. They're being really faithful in this. So now I'm going to ask you to come share your testimony for the youth group. You know what I'm saying? You don't tell them necessarily because you've been faithful. It's just the Lord put you on my heart. Would you come share? And you notice, and they're tested, and they're proven over time. And it's a progression, and it's a moving, and it's good, and it's God's way, and it's a qualifications that should be met. And when we skip over that and just move them from here to there real quickly, it's not fair to them. It's going to be uh, bad for the church. Not that it can't be repented of and fixed, but it can cause problems that didn't need to be caused in the first place. I'll, I'll never forget this. Um, this saying, you know, talking about being proven in little things. This would be for all of us as Christians. I think it was uh, Duncan Campbell that said, a little thing, no, G. Campbell Morgan said, a little thing is a little thing, but faithfulness in little things is a very big thing. And I love that, that statement. I'll just, I know you've probably heard me say it before, if not somewhere else. A little thing is a little thing, but faithfulness in little things is a very big thing. So that's being proven and tested. We need to be faithful in anything that we would do for the Lord and the deacon uh, the same way. See how they do, basically. See how they do when they're given responsibility. A new convert, even if they're popular and likable, if they're not yet gr grounded and proved, should absolutely never be put in a position of authority over others. It's a big mistake, all right? So let's keep reading. Let them use the office. This is verse 10. First be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Now, we had this same type of word used for the bishop. What does it mean to be blameless? The first thing I think we naturally would think of is they have to be perfect. They have to be sinless. Well, nobody would qualify other than Jesus, right? Nobody, not the Apostle Paul, nobody, Timothy. Nobody would have qualified to be a bishop or deacon if, if, the, if it meant sinless. It does not mean sinless. It's not sinless perfection perfection what it means is the definition is unrebukable and we talked about that with a bishop we, we're living in such a way that that our lives are, are beyond reproach we're living in such a way or the individuals living in such a way that's blameless to where people can't just bring all kinds of accusations against you we're, we're living godly we're living holy it's a life that's unrebukable and if we sin, we, we quickly repent, but that's not the pattern of our lives, to sin. It, so it doesn't mean sinless perfection. It does mean that a man can live a life inside the church and outside the church among the lost that is blameless. And that simply means like unrebukable. And I'll give an example. Don't, don't preach or teach to others or pull someone to the side and say, honor your mother and father when the individual is not honoring his own mother and father. Nobody's going to have respect for that. They're not going to receive that. That's not blameless. Wait, you can be blamed for the same thing. 
You understand what I mean? So let your, again, let your life and your profession, line up with your profession and with the word of God. That's what that means. I want to read one scripture here in, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you holy. The Lord's the one that does it. We're talking about blamelessness. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. There's that word unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord has to do it, okay? The Lord has to do it. So it's unrebukable is what it is, and it's a qualification for the deacon. So let's, let's keep going. We'll finish up this on the deacons tonight. Even so, verse 11, must their wives be grave, not slanderer, sober, faithful in all things. Once again, you know, it's similar when it talks about the husband of one wife. A bishop must be the husband of one wife. And so I believe we see here that the deacon, just from reading this passage, you would say has to be a man. There is one scripture, at least one, that would make you think maybe there's, there was a kind of like the woman teachers, and I don't want to get back into all of that, where we see that there was a woman that apparently was a deacon. And I'll read this from Romans chapter 6, verse 1. And Paul commends her. In fact, he's the first one that he mentions at the end of Romans when he lists a long, long list of people that he's thankful for. Romans 16, 1, I commend unto you, Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant. Guess what the word for servant is there? Diokoneo. Same word that we're studying here. And, and so I commend unto you, Phoebe, our sister, which is a deacon, basically, if you want to use that word, of the church, which is in Centria. So uh, I would not personally forbid somebody that believes a woman should be a deacon and so forth. Uh, I, I do see that, that passage right there. So having said that, I want to get back to our study. Even so must their wives, in verse 11, be grave, not slander, sober, faithful in all things. A godly wife, this is the, the deacon's wives act, actually have qualifications. That's what we're seeing here. It's important that the wives of the deacons that are serving in the church be holy, that they be godly. What's the purpose of that? Well, uh, in Christian marriage, the two become one. It's not just a little saying. She must measure up, so to speak. She's got to measure up in the Lord, in her testimony for, for Christ. A deacon can be a better deacon. A pastor can be a better pastor if his wife is godly. Would you all agree with that? I mean, I think that's, if, if the deacon can be a better deacon a pastor or any servant of the Lord can be better pastor or servant if his wife is godly and they're walking together in Christ as they should. I'm thankful for the wife that the Lord has given me uh, to help me serve the Lord with. But faithful in all things. She's got to be godly and faithful in all things. And then here's that word grave. In verse 11, Grave, it's already twice that that word's been used. We've defined it. It means reverent. It means solemn. Okay? It does not mean uh, 
these words like grave and sober that are used, maybe we picture somebody that's stern, that has no joy, that has no fun, that has no happiness. That's not what the words mean. Again, sober and grave, they mean serious-minded about serious things, serious-minded about spiritual things. They're not going to be shallow people. They're going to be people that are deep and rooted in Christ, and they're holy, and they want to walk with God. One of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. They're going to be joyful, okay? I truly believe without question that the holiest people will be the happiest people. I believe that. The holiest people are going to be the happiest, most joyful people. So sober and grave, whether it's for the deacon or the bishop or the deacon's wives, does not mean uh, stoic and unhappy and cold. It doesn't mean that. It means serious-minded, okay? Grave, they should not, not slanderers. The, the deacon's wife, not a slanderer. That word literally means devil. They shouldn't be devils. We know what slander means, but that's really what the word slanderer means, a devil, okay? Deacon's wife should not be a devil, okay? Um, it means got anybody that would be gossiping or ruining the reputation of others, specifically. They have an intent, and they're gossiping, and their, their mouth's carried away, and they're, they're hurting the reputation of others, okay? And uh, cannot the deacon's wife should not be that. Obviously, the deacon himself shouldn't be that. Not uh, sober, which we've already talked about, faithful in all things, and that pretty much covers all of it. Two more verses. Verse 12, let the deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their, their children and their own house as well. Exact same things we talked about with the bishop. Uh, the deacon should have his own house in order, so to speak. He should have his own house, one child, many children, uh, older children, whatever. If they're in the house and living there, their spouse, they should be in order in the Lord. Not a dictator, not a tyrant, but a leader that leads well. And we talked about in Ephesians, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That type of leader, right? Parents that don't provoke their children to wrath and so forth, but teach them the word of God and love them and so forth. And, it, and be that example in the home. When the children are not, say the Christian man, the, the children are not in order. It really would show a defect in the somewhere. doesn't mean the man's not saved. Show some type of defect in his character. Could be fixed. God could help him with it. God, that could change. But if he's not ruling his house in a godly way, and it's evident through the lives of his family members, then it's going to show probably a defect uh, in his own life, okay? If he doesn't have the respect and the obedience of his own children, how can he expect it from the church where he's serving over other people that aren't his immediate family? I'll say this, and I know that you know, but our churches would be much stronger and healthier if all of our leadership would meet these qualifications. Our churches as a whole across this planet would be healthier and stronger, more glorifying to God if our leadership would meet these qualifications. It's very important. God gave them for a reason. Okay, so I'm going to cl close with verse 13. For they that have used the office of a deacon, he already said it was honorable at the beginning, and now he says they that have used the 
office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. So these that faithfully serve as deacons, remember they're servants, they're servants. We read in Acts chapter 6, look ye out seven men to take care of this ministration and this service to the widows that were being neglected. We're going to give ourselves to the, to the uh, prayer and the ministry of the work. So these people that faithfully serve that way, it says they have a good and full reward. They purchase to themselves. That means they obtain it or preserve it. A good degree means a good, good standing or a step up. So what does a deacon have in the end? From the Lord, they have favor. From the Lord, they have a blessing. They've actually obtained and preserved a good report from the Lord. It's a step up, he calls it. It's a good uh, degree means a step up, okay? And again, there's not, a di there's not a different standard of holiness for Christians, period. Whether you're a bishop, deacon, or, you know, just someone in the church, there's not a different standard of holiness. But we would have to all agree, and the Lord knows it, that the, the one who's in that position of leadership would be held to a, a greater accountability, because they're looked upon as being the Lord's representative. Everybody, if we sin, we have to repent. Everybody, if we blow it royally, and maybe in front of people, we have to go to them and ask their forgiveness. But it, it brings more harm to the name of Christ and the cause of Christ when in leadership sins. Okay, so it's the same standard in one sense, but yet the, the minister is held to it more highly, the deacon, the bishop, because uh, because of how it was, and he's leading other people, he's leading other people, okay, and the a lost world is watching, and a saved world is watching. It brings greater reproach when a man of God, a servant of the Lord, falls in some way, and so I want to close tonight. I'm going to read one more passage. We're going to close tonight, but I would like us to pray for church leaders. I think we did this uh, a few weeks ago, but pray for pastors, pray for leaders within the church because Satan is, is after them especially. Um, just one more thought. To, to we don't think of a, a deacon maybe in the modern terms of maybe some deacons you've known in the past or stories you've heard about deacons that wasn't very favorable. They're to be holy men. They're to be, it's, a, it's a wonderful position to serve the Lord and to serve the body of Christ, okay? When we're faithful with those things that look like, oh, they're just uh, a tree fell in the church and they went and got their chainsaw and cut it off. That is serving, right? That's serving. Maybe people know they did it. Maybe people don't have any idea who got the tree off the church, but they did it unto the Lord. It's a blessing to serve the Lord, y'all. It's not poor me. I should get more recognition the Lord sees. Your Father which seeth in secret will reward you openly. Do it as unto the Lord. And when you're faithful in those things, guess what? People see that faithfulness. God brings it to the recognition of those that he wants to recognize it. And then you see more responsibility given. I want to look at an example of this just real quickly. And we'll close with this. Back in Acts chapter 6, first deacons we ever saw, right? Stephen and Philip and these in Acts chapter 6. Let's look down. I want to skip, skip down in Acts 6 to verse 8. And we're going to skip around a little bit. Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Now, wait a minute. I thought he was just a deacon. 
Well, he was. That was his official position. He was a deacon, but what is God using him to do? Because he was a faithful deacon, because he's a man full of faith and wisdom and the Holy Ghost, the Lord entrusted him with more. He said he did great wonders and miracles among the people. Stephen did. He was not one of the 12. He wasn't a pastor of a local church. He was a deacon in the first church. Skip down to verse uh, 10. Now, as he's, he begins to preach the gospel and the Jews are angry with him, they're re rebellious, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Again, here's a deacon, verse 15. And all that sat in the, the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. I love Stephen. I love his testimony. And he's got a short one. But I'm telling you, he went out with a, he went out having given all. And he ends up the first martyr in, in, that we read in the early church, right? So look at chapter uh, 7, 1 and 2. And then said the high priest, are these things so? And he said, men and brethren and fathers, hearken, the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham. So what is he? He begins to preach a sermon. That's all I wanted us to see there. That Stephen, who was one of the ones chosen to wait tables, basically, and make sure the widows got their right clothing and food and whatever they needed, that God used them in a mighty way to preach to this council. And they could not, this whole Jewish council could not overcome or withstand the wisdom with, with which this man spoke, filled with the Holy Ghost. I, I really do admire uh, Stephen and his testimony. So the same for Philip. Look at Acts chapter 8. He was the second deacon mentioned. Acts chapter 8, we'll just read 4 through 6 and we'll close. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. There was a persecution under Saul of Tarsus. And so they were literally stamped on and scattered. The Christians were fleeing and scattered. Everywhere they went, they preached the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Oh, wait, I thought he was just a deacon. No, God used him to preach and teach because he was a faithful deacon. And even to be a deacon, he had to be a man with a good report among the people, full of faith, wisdom, and the Holy Ghost. Philip went down and preached Christ unto them, and the people with one accord gave heed unto the things which Philip spake, seeing and hearing the miracles which he did. There was a great revival in Samaria. First one, okay, that we read about where the gospel was brought there. I just think it's, it's wonderful to serve the Lord. Don't look at it as a menial thing. Be faithful in whatever God's given you. That may be what you have the rest of your life. Be content and thankful that God's allowed you to be a servant of the Most High God and serve Him. If He chooses to promote you, promotion doesn't come from the east or the west. It comes from the lowest. He decides to promote you. He decides to. But I tell you, who's going to promote are those that are faithful in what they've been given. Day in and day out over a long period of time, faithful and then let God move you up if he desires to do so. Amen. So I'll just close tonight. Chris, you can come if you would. And uh, I just want us to pray. Maybe just Chris can just play softly. I would like us to pray for pastors and leadership. We can't do it too much. I know we've done it. We're going to do it again tonight. If you want to come to the altar and pray, the altars are open. We know that the devil has his bullseye on the back of 
all Christians, but he got a special interest in, in desiring to bring uh, leadership down because it brings a greater reproach to the cause of Christ. They are held to the, to the standard and should be. But Father, we come before you, Lord, and we don't take it lightly, Lord. Any service that we have, Lord, if we're moving chairs for dinner on the grounds, if we're, we're cleaning up something that's spilled from communion, uh, whatever, whatever we're, whatever we're doing, working in, in the nursery, helping at a work day at the church, whatever it may be, God. Lord, you said, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do it all to the glory of God, knowing that of the Lord you're going to receive your reward, the reward, and not of men. Let our motives be pure. Let our hearts be pure. Help us not to be jealous or envious, God, that someone else gets more attention. Help us to be faithful. You're our Father, and you said our Father which seeth in secret will reward us openly. God, I believe that, and we believe your word, and by faith we want to be servants of the Most High God. I pray you'd use your people to serve. We have wonderful servants in this church. Make us even better servants, God. Those that aren't serving, God, I pray you'd raise them up. They begin begin to be faithful in little things, God. Very faithful in the things that you've called them to do, Lord. And God, we do pray for leadership, whether it's a pastor, an evangelist, a music minister, uh, whatever it be deacons in churches, God, people that are looked up to and looked at, at as leaders in their churches, God, that you would keep them, that you would bless them, that you would keep them sound and conscience, sound in doctrine, that you would anoint them to teach and preach like you did Stephen and Philip and to minister, God that you would keep them from the snares of the wicked one and the, the traps that he would set for their lives, God. And I pray that you would make our testimonies blameless and beyond reproach. I pray for the wives of pastors and deacons and leaders that you would make them the same, God. Godly, holy women who serve the Lord and serve in the church, God, and serve their, their families, God. We praise you tonight, God. We love you and we bless you. We thank you for your word, God. We thank you for being with us as we go out tonight, to share, tomorrow night, to share, out the, share the gospel, Lord. Bless it, Father. Bless our time. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen.